78 yards already for Green, who's had 100-plus in every game so far this season. Now this pops open. He could go. Sean Green walks into the end zone. Great, great blocking. Outstanding job by this front five of the Iowa Hawkeyes. And, and the tight ends also. They're a good part of this running game. They've done a good job of getting a hat in the hat and continuing to push those Northwestern front seven defenders down the field. If you see, every Northwestern defender has a blocker on them. Sean Green is getting to the third level before he's meeting a Northwestern defender that's not engaged with the blocker. And how about the wide receiver? Daryl Johnson Culianos hasn't caught a pass yet, and he's a flashy player, but he went gut bucket on that block, and Green used that to get into the end zone. And he's 8 out of 10, 62 yards, and an interception. They fake the draw to Green. First deep shot of the ball game. Open! Touchdown, Iowa! Brunel! And when you have as much success running the football with Sean Green, it opens up the play-action passing game. Right here, those safeties are so inclined to come up and try and help out that defensive front seven that they forget their responsibilities in the passing game. And you get your receivers matched up one-on-one -on -one outside. You see right there, the play-action freezes the backer. Now, the good thing about what Ricky Stanzi does, he doesn't try and make a perfect throw. He throws the ball up with air run into the middle of the field and allows his wide receiver, Burdell, to run under the football and catch it. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from HawkeyesMike.com. Last Saturday's Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of ESPN Classic with Dave Lamont and Sean King. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you weekly during the entire season. This week we'll review the Iowa Northwestern game. Once again, you'll have the chance to hear from Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. You'll also hear from the opposing coaches in next Saturday's game, and we'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Michigan State game this coming Saturday. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Chance here for Brodell. Got one touchdown today. Not going to get one here, though. And they put the ball down. And it is Northwestern ball. Recovery that time by Trevane Matthews, number 87. And that's just like hitting a big play. And that's a huge mistake, especially at this point in the game. You know, you're pretty much dominating the game. All the momentum's in your favor. And right here, when the play's over, you have to be willing to just say, okay, the play's over. You got to be aware when those guys get around you how secure you have that football. You have to tuck it, get both hands on it so that no one can come and hit it out. First down again, Northwestern wide open in the back of the end zone is Peterman, and Northwestern just charges down the field and shocks this crowd. But there are people who haven't even gotten their halftime hot dogs yet who missed that display by the Wildcats offense. The Northwestern Wildcats spoiled Iowa's homecoming last Saturday. The Hawks surrendered a 17-3 lead to end up losing 22-17 as the Wildcats scored 19 unanswered points. But the truth of the matter is that the Hawks spoiled their own homecoming with five turnovers that first let Northwestern back into the game at the end of the first half and then let them win it in the second. Although the Hawks marched downfield as time ran out in the fourth quarter, they couldn't score a TD inside the Northwestern 8-yard line to win the game, even though they had four plays to do it. There certainly were positives out of this game. The offense piled up 407 yards. Rick Stanzi, in spite of a couple of turnovers, looks very solid at the quarterback position, which appears to be his to lose for the rest of the season. For the first time in a couple of years, the passing game looks like it shows real promise, including the ability to go vertical 
and get some big plays. Stanzi was 21 of 30 for 238 yards, and Iowa's offense averaged 6.7 yards per play against the Wildcats. Sean Green also turned in another sterling performance before he was injured early in the fourth quarter and unable to return, something that definitely hurt Iowa in its failed last-minute drive for the winning TD. Green turned in his fifth straight 100-plus yards rushing performance. He ran the ball 21 times for a career-high 159 yards. He is now ranked second in the Big Ten and sixth nationally. If he can stay healthy, he looks like he has the chance to become one of the most dominating running backs in a long time. The defense was very good at times, but struggled at key points in this game, and it continues to have difficulty stopping the spread offense when it's being run effectively by a pretty decent team. Northwestern's touchdown drive at the start of the second half in particular looked way too easy and simply shred the defense on both short and long plays. What's troubling about that is that Iowa only faces two more teams this season that don't run the spread, Michigan State and Wisconsin. Many of us used to think Iowa would be more effective against the spread by mixing up its schemes and using more personnel. But they are doing that, and it just doesn't seem to be working either. It may boil down to a need for significantly more speed on the defensive side of the ball. Another disturbing stat from last Saturday, in spite of 45 passing plays for Northwestern, Iowa failed to get a single sack. In the last 12 meetings between these two schools, the Wildcats are 7-5. and five. Ference is only 4-4 four and four against Northwestern, and the visiting team has won the last three games in this series. The loss leaves Iowa with a record of 3-2 and 0-1 and oh and in the conference, while Northwestern moved to 5-0 and oh for the first time in 46 years since Eric Parsegian coached the Wildcats. Northwestern quarterback C.J. Bechet was also named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week for his performance in this game. He was 28 of 45 for 284 yards and three touchdowns. The only time Iowa won't be picked to lose a game in the next few weeks is their bye week. Barring upsets and a resurgence in this team, Iowa will likely be eliminated from bowl consideration by early November. A season that started with promise now teeters if not on the abyss, then on a very steep downhill slide. One of the ironies is that this team actually seems to be playing much better than last year's squad. You see it on the field, you can sense it. The results are just not there, yet. Perhaps that is the one thing that gives fans hope. The truth of the matter is that this program has steadily declined since the start of the 2005 season. And since the start of the 2006 season, Iowa is only 15 and 15 overall and 6-11 in the Big Ten. Plus, they are only 8 and 7 in their last 15 games at Kinnick Stadium. The Hawks continued a particularly disturbing pattern that has developed since then. They keep figuring out ways to lose close games as opposed to winning them. Since the end of the 2004 season, Iowa is now 2 and 9 in games decided by 5 points or less. They have also lost their last 8 games decided by 3 points or less. Compare this to the 2002 through 2004 seasons when the Hawks were 6-1 in games decided by five or less. While head coach Kirk Ferentz insists that the coaches and the players remain optimistic and focused on the next game, sort of the 
glasses-half-full approach, many fans and members of the media are wondering when Iowa's next win might come. The Hawks certainly are not going to be favored in any of their next five games against Michigan State, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Penn State, three of which are on the road. That leaves games against Purdue at home and Minnesota on the road to close out the season. And remember, Ohio State and Michigan are not on the schedule. If it wasn't already the case, fans' patience is wearing very thin. Their ire used to be directed at offensive coordinator Ken O'Keefe in particular and, to a lesser extent, defensive coordinator Norm Parker. But, especially given his salary, the love affair with Ference is being severely tested, in part because he refuses to make significant changes on his coaching staff. And many believe those kinds of changes are increasingly necessary. Some national publications are now listing Ference as one of the FBI series head coaches currently under the most pressure to turn things around in a hurry. Stay tuned. Great story. Compelling and rich. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. Taking a look at game notes and key stats from the Iowa Northwestern game, Sean Green scored once again, this time an 18-yard touchdown in the second quarter. He has rushed for at least one touchdown in each of the Hawkeyes' first five games. Green has amassed 665 rushing yards and five touchdowns this season. That's the second-highest total by an Iowa running back since 1997. Wide receiver Andy Brodell caught a career-high eight passes for 126 yards and a touchdown. That's a season high for a Hawkeye receiver. Iowa started the game on offense once again. They won the toss this time and elected to receive. The Hawks have started on offense now in 97 of their last 109 contests and all five games this season. The Hawks failed to score on their first possession of the game. That's the second time that's happened this season, two weeks in a row now. Northwestern also failed to score on its opening possession. All five Iowa opponents this season have failed to score on their opening drives. The Wildcats did score a touchdown on their first second-half possession. That's the first time an Iowa opponent has scored a third-period touchdown this year. Iowa now falls to 51, 41, and 5 in homecoming games, and they've lost their last two homecoming contests. One other note, this is more disturbing, Iowa already has 11 turnovers through the first five games this year. They only had 13 all of last season. Looking at some key stats from last Saturday's game, first downs, the Hawks 24, Northwestern 22. Net yards rushing, the Hawks had 169 to the Wildcats 106. Net yards passing, Iowa 238, Northwestern 284. Total offensive yards, the Hawks won this category 407 to 390. And total offensive plays, Northwestern dominated here, running 79 to the Hawks 61. Possession time, pretty much equal. Third down conversions, Iowa struggled here once again, only three of nine red zone scoring chances the Wildcats were four of six while the Hawks were two of three and Iowa suffered two sacks Northwestern suffered none my advice to you start drinking heavily 
Oh, you're not going to negate Sean Green today as Jordan Maven flipped him, and Green's a little bit shaken up. He could be uh, just tired more than anything else. He has seven. He's got a shot today at 200 yards. And he very well can get there, but I am just so impressed with the front five of the Iowa Hawkeyes. I mean, if you look at this, I mean, he's all the way to the safety before he encounters any Northwestern defenders. And when you can have that kind of just dominant presence with your running game from your front five, from that offensive line and that tight end, I mean, it makes it so much easier easier on the running back. That is a season high for him. Oof. Wow. I don't know how he hung on to the ball. He may not have. He didn't. Northwestern forces a fifth Iowa turnover and Brad Phillips with a monstrous hit. This hit ricocheted throughout the entire stadium. Mike Denard came out with a football for Northwestern. Let's hear what the opposing coaches have to say in this coming Saturday's game, the Hawkeyes versus the Spartans. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz. First, Ferentz talks about the Northwestern game and previews Michigan State. We're uh, you know coming off a, a tough, disappointing loss, and uh, uh, you know it's two teams Saturday that played very hard. Northwestern did a great job and uh, certainly deserved to win. And uh, you know we're doing some things well, and uh, the thing we need to do is quit, uh, you know, quit being charitable. We, we turned it over five times, and uh, a couple of those were uncontested turnovers. Which uh, you know, anytime you turn the ball over, at least most times when you turn the ball over as much as we did the other day, it's going to be very difficult to win. And you know, we, we uh, certainly aren't good enough to overcome those kinds of mistakes. So uh, that, that's a challenge that's ahead for our team right now, and you know, we have to clean up our play. And uh, you know, we've got a, a tough, uh, tough challenge again this week, and we'll have uh, you know seven more ahead of us right now. So we, we travel up to East Lansing against a very good Michigan State team. Kirk talks about what he saw from Rick Stanzi in the Northwestern game. Yeah, I, I think he uh, you know, he did some real good things out there, and you know, we, we have some things that we've improved in offensively. You know, compared to where we were a year ago, it's uh, a night and day, and you know. Everybody's got a hand in that, but I thought Rick did a lot of good things. Thought he kept his composure, and uh, you know, really up until the last play of the game, we felt like we had a chance to win it. And you know, that, that's a start. It's uh, not the outcome that we we had hoped to achieve, but it's a start. And uh, now the hope uh, hopes that we can, you know, up our our production and uh, get to the point where we have a chance to win games in the fourth quarter instead of coming up short like we did. But I thought Rick got off to a positive start. Kirk talks about Iowa's turnovers and how much a coaching staff can do about that. Yeah, well, I don't know about college football. It's interesting in our case. You know, we've had three really good years. Our two championship years, 2002, 2004, we were uh, we were very good. If we weren't at the top, we were, we were right there. Uh, and then, ironically, last year, uh, it's one of the few things that we did well uh, offensively. You know, we did a good job of taking care of the football. And uh, uh, as a team, our third takeaway margin, turnover takeaway margin, was very, very good. So, uh, you know, there there aren't a lot of statistics. I don't think that are uh, cover all the all the areas. For instance, you know, I've always believed running the Football and stop in the run helps, but uh, we were next to last in, in uh, the entire country. Forget about our conference in 2004. We still uh, ended up being co-champs that year for obvious reasons. All our backs were hurt, so there are different ways to win. But I think if you're going to if you're going to focus on one thing, that sure helps. And you know, going into the, Saturday's game, we've been really doing a pretty good job. So I hope it's a, a one a one game uh, phenomena. I hope it is. We'll find out here after uh, seven more games. But for the most part, I think it's just it comes down to concentration. Uh, if you look at our game in particular. Uh, 
Saturday. You know, Sean's Sean Green's. If you know, if you'd been standing on the field, I think you'd understand why the ball might have come out on that one. Their their safety made a great hit uh, on Sean, and uh, you know, those things you're going to live with. That's part of football. You know, there are a couple, three of them that were really, in my 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 opinion, was basically uncontested, and that's those are the things that get you beat. Kirk was asked whether the key to winning this game Saturday is stopping Javon Ringer or if something else can be done. I think that point's probably really, really valid. And I don't know, you know much about basketball, but there are some players in basketball you don't stop. I think what you do when you when you play against a great player, which uh, Ringer is, is a, just a phenomenal player, you know, you try to contain and control, I guess. Uh, not that we're surrendering anything at this given juncture, but I think, first of all, your players better realize that the guy can beat you at any time on any play, so you, you have to beat your absolute best. Uh, each and every play, and then the other other factor though is that uh, you know he's going to get yards. I mean, you're not going to hold him to, to 20 yards in a ball game. I don't think that's going to happen unless you just want to sacrifice everything you're doing and uh, run the risk of you know sudden death in other spots real fast. So yeah, you know, I, I think you have to play your your, your defense the way you play it, and uh, have to pay particular attention and just hope you can you know keep him under control and, and uh, keep him from from breaking the game wide open. He's very capable of doing that. And last this week, there have been reports concerning Kirk Ferentz's job status. Kirk was asked whether that's a distraction for his team. You know, I mean, maybe that's why we turned it over five times the other day. If, if it is, uh, then that, that would be, you know, that'd be the number one thing I'd point to last Saturday. And I'm, I'm not real aware of the reports on my job status. Uh, maybe our kids are more in tune uh, than I am. But, uh, you know, that's about the last thing I'm thinking about right now. We're just trying to, trying to get better here and uh, win some football games this year. What are the reports on my job status? I better start reading the papers. Now let's see what Michigan State's coach, Mark D'Antonio, has to say about this Saturday's game. D'Antonio reviews the Indiana game, winning in Bloomington, and previews the game against the Hawks. In regards to last weekend's game versus Indiana, uh, very hard-fought game. I thought Indiana came ready to play and um, did an outstanding job. Uh, I think the difference in the game probably were, uh, were the turnovers, probably, and uh, the ability to run the football and, and be balanced on uh, on offense. And our field goal kicker, uh, Brett Swenson, had an excellent day going forward for four. Iowa, big game for us, uh, homecoming. Should be a sellout crowd here. It'd be very exciting for us. Um, and uh, extremely tough football team that we're playing against, very physical. They want to run the football as well as pass it, stay balanced. Uh, very good defensively, you know, we're going to have a, a huge challenge. D'Antonio talks about his star running back, Javon Ringer. He is an extremely well-conditioned athlete. Uh, Ken Manning, our strength coach, has been with him uh, throughout his four years here. But uh, Javon has a mindset. He's always gone hard. I don't care whether it's winter workouts or summer camp or spring football. You know, he's going to uh, be one of the hardest workers on our football team. He's got a great attention for detail and a, and a great uh, ability to, to sustain his mental toughness. And I think that, as much as anything, his mental toughness allows him to be able to push through times uh, when uh, maybe the normal guy would only be able to run it 20, 25 times, you know, he's out there and has the ability to do that. So I would say those two things carry him and he's an outstanding conditioned athlete. Antonio was asked how much of Ringer's success has to do with his running style. Well, he's got great vision. He's elusive in the hole and uh, very rarely is he thrown for a loss of any, of any amount. So, uh, yeah, you know, he's shifty. He can, you know, he's built a little bit low to the ground at some point in time as his running style. But, uh, you know, all those, you know, just the, just the ability to line up and burst on every given play is uh, is something that's that's very difficult to do on a consistent basis. So um, I think all things entering into it, it's the intangibles, it's the tangible things you see with his physical ability as well. Very fortunate to have him here. 
D'Antonio also talks about Ringer's effectiveness later in the game as opposed to the first half. Really, the last two games, the fourth quarter of the Notre Dame game and the fourth quarter of the Indiana game, are the, is the time that he's he's had some of his biggest runs. Uh, you can really even look past that into the, uh, the Florida Atlantic game when it was raining. It's the fourth quarter that, that he broke out and he made some plays. So I would say he remains a constant throughout. D'Antonio discusses the play overall of his offensive line. Yes, thus far we give, we've given up one sack in five games, which is a really amazing statistic. Running the ball for nearly 200 yards a game, uh, so we're doing it on both ends there with, with our offensive line. I think the key thing there is that we have three starters back from that offensive line. We have a couple guys back with additional experience. And then the other thing is they have a great attention to detail. Their coach, Dan Rochars, and Mark Staten as well have done an outstanding job with those guys, and uh, they've got a high level of uh, mental toughness, which helps. You put it back in there that... Um, like Javon Ringer, who if he can find a crease, can make it go. You have possibilities every single play, and our offensive linemen know that. Because of that, they work a little extra harder. D'Antonio talks about the difficulty in facing Iowa's defense. Extremely uh, tough, fundamentally sound, uh, very disciplined defensive football team. Uh, they tackle well. Uh, they're very firm up front. They two-gap you a lot. You know, they're not going to try and fool you. You're going to know where they're at. Um, and she's got to be able to play against them. But uh, they're vis- very physical, and so it'll, it'll, it will be a huge challenge for us. D'Antonio gives his impressions of Sean Green. Very tough runner, north-south runner, very physical. And, uh, you know, they're going to give him the ball. He, I mean, he's got 99 carries, so they've given them, them, him, a ball, him the ball quite often as well. So, um, again, you know, they have an outstanding offensive line on their side of the ball. They're very um, disciplined. They're tough up front. This is going to be a very physical football game, which is the way it should be sometimes. So we're looking forward to it. D'Antonio talks about Javon Ringer as a potential Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, I don't read the papers much right now, but, uh, you know, I can all I can tell you is that, yeah, he's being mentioned. The more success we have as a, as a football team, the more exposure he will get. The better he does on the football field, the more wins we get. And, you know, so I think the two sort of feed off each other. And I, I do think that uh, if this football team could have a, a high amount of success and visibility because of that success, that Javon Ringer will be considered as, as, a, as truly a Heisman candidate. I think right now he's probably in the four or five guys he talked about. But for him to get up there to the top, we're going to have to have a super year as a football team. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, Marv talks with Sean Patchett. What did you think of Saturday's game, and where's Iowa as a team right now? You know, it's it's amazing that uh, seeing what happened in the first half, I thought Iowa was in complete control. I thought they were pretty much dominating the game. And, you know, from that standpoint, you got to take that as a positive. Because Northwest is a pretty good football team. They do some, a lot of good things. they got a lot of talented players. So just to be in a in position where I thought like we were in total control of the first half was very, very uh, heartwarming. And obviously then to lose a game like that where you do feel like you are better is frustrating. So, I mean, there's a bit of turnovers and a lot of key plays ultimately caused the, the downfall for the Hawkeyes. But, uh, you know, those are things that can be corrected. And uh, The good thing that I take away from it was, like I said, the fact that, it, you know, they lined up and matched up and played well at times against a pretty good football team. Have you ever coached or played in a game where your team had five turnovers? 
And how good you have to be to overcome that? It, it, unbelievably good. I mean, it's just it, you know that level, especially depends on where they're at. If you you know if they're on your side of the field, then that's even bigger problems because their chances are that the other team to get points. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, those are just the types of things that are hard to overcome. Uh, you throw a special teams, you know, turnover. That's huge yardage too. So, uh, it's those are very very difficult to overcome. What did you think of the offense as a whole? At times, I. I think it's great. I mean, like I said, if we can run the ball, we can be a good football team. And we were running the ball pretty effectively again uh, on Saturday for the most part. So I think that that's the key to Iowa is running the running game, getting the, getting the running game going. And we were able to do that for the most part. And then Sean Green gets nicked up a little bit and uh, Pocky's down. And, and, you know, you start getting in third and fourth string running back and that gets a little bit more difficult. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about Rick Sanzi's play? It was his first complete game as a starter? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's young, and you know, he's you know just getting his feet underneath him as far as this offense, this system, and and you know, at times he, I think he looks really well and manages it really well. So, you know, but he, there's going to be growing pains there. There's going to be a lot of issues that come up. He's going to see things that he's not used to as we get into the Big Ten season. They're going to see more complicated defenses and more pressure. So, I mean, it's going to be good with bad, and it's, that's what happens when you play a young quarterback. Even with all of Northwestern's run blitzes and stacking the box on Saturday, the offensive line really does seem to be coming together. They really are, and like I said, I mean, Sean Green is the perfect back for that that offensive line, and they pound it in there really well. And you know, when you're getting seven, eight, six, you know, six, seven, eight yards of crack, that's that's tough on a defense. It puts a lot of stress on the defense. And and what you like to see is, is just a good mix of play action off of that. And I think you'll see more and more of that as we get going. It was good to see them sub in Jewel Hampton early Saturday to give Sean Green a little rest. Another terrific performance by Green, though. Yeah, I mean, he's truly playing at a high level. Obviously, Big Ten, and at that level, the back, you have to be one of the baddest I mean, people walking the planet. I mean, you get hit every single snap. You get hit from multiple directions, you know, by big, small guys, and it's it's difficult. And obviously, you can see it's starting to take a toll on him a little bit. But, but he's a tough guy. He gets back up, always answers the bell for the most part. And, um, you know, it's also good if you have a change of pace, then when you come in with a little bit guy that's a little bit more scatty, I think that's what I was searching for right now. In that last series and the last set of downs, when Iowa had a chance for a win, even with Hampton in the game, are you surprised we didn't see a play action or two at close to the goal line? You know, like I said, you don't know what the defense was doing. I mean, I, I don't know what the, what the process was as far as what they felt. A lot of times if the team's taking away something, you're going to take, you're going to do the other thing. A lot of times you have run pass checks. You know, if they have, you know, six in the box, you're going to run it. If they have seven in the box, you're going to throw it, that type of thing. I'm not sure what the strategy was going in, but, you know, obviously it's easy to look back and say, well, we should have, you know, at least run it once down there. But Sean Green out of the game, they might probably didn't feel as comfortable running the ball. You know, it's, those are things that are easy to second guess, but if one of those plays is made, if they, if they complete the slant and you run and for a touchdown, it's the greatest call in the world, but if it doesn't work, then they'll say, why didn't you run a draw or something else? So it's just difficult to, to make those kind of second guesses. Looking at special teams, Mossbrucker was solid in his place kicking role. Daniel Murray was okay on kickoffs, but the rest of the special teams play wasn't really there. Yeah, I mean, you just can't turn the ball over. You know, if, you know, field, that's like punt returns. If you, if you muff a ball, that's 50, 40, 50 yards of field position, you lose in the end possession. So, you know, those are obviously mistakes that you don't want to make. And, and, and Burdell's the kind of guy that's going to, the great thing about Burdell is he'll make that up over the course of the year. He already did with the touchdown run. So I mean, he's the kind of guy that can take it to the house. And I always, as a coach, I like returners that are that can go to score a touchdown every time they touch the ball. And I think Burdell's that kind of guy. So you, you know, have to live with a few bad mistakes here and there, but 
the one thing you hope is, is that when you do make those mistakes, you have the sudden changes that the defense can come out and slam the door on them and, and uh, make that mistake go away. On kickoff returns, Jewel Hampton appeared to be very upset on the sidelines after both DJK and then Spivey literally cut in front of him to field kickoffs. The Spivey experiment by France resulted in a fumble, and that can't be by design, can it? And is there sort of zone on each side of the field that each returner is supposed to be responsible for? It, it, that's just game plan. A lot of times you want certain guys to get the ball and you tell them to get whatever you can. If you know if you feel more comfortable with one player or the other, obviously you'll have them positioned one side of the field or the other, but you, what you'll tell one guy is you get everything you can get, the other guy then lead blocks, but if they kick in the corner then obviously the other returner's got to get it. So I think it's just a game plan decision. Other than that though, there should be better communication as far as you know, if the one guy can get it, then the other guy's got to get in a position to be able to block. The defense had to play much of the game on a short field, except for the first Wildcat touchdown drive in the third quarter, where it looked like Iowa wasn't even on the field. How would you grade out the defense? Like I said, for the most part, to keep Northwestern in check and not let them score a lot of points. And, and like you said, they, they had short fields, you know, d at different times. So, in uh, Northwestern, is a good quarterback. I mean, they got some talented, skilled players, and, and they're going to make plays. And, and, and when you take away the field position that they had and, and, and uh, some of those things, I, I think the defense played did a good job of keeping that offense in check for the most part. Northwestern certainly executes their version of the spread fairly well. I know Iowa's philosophy is bend, don't break, but the last two weeks the Hawks have been doing more breaking than bending. Why does Iowa continue to struggle against these offensive schemes? And do you think Iowa's current approach is the right one? I, I, I really do. I think they've done a good job against the spread for the most part. I mean, the spread is designed to get, you're trying to create mismatches. Uh, and, you know, a couple times what you, see, you saw that is, I think Carpenter got down the middle and looked like he was on a linebacker, a safety, and the safety was underneath coverage. And, and they beat him over the top in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. And then the other time they basically just ran a quick speed out. And, and trust me, if you throw that on time and you throw that in the right spot, it's hard to defend. You, you can have the best coverage in the world, but it's still hard to defend. So, and it was just good execution on Northwestern's part on the other touchdown. As a coach, how would you best go about devising a defensive philosophy and a scheme that gives you the best chance to slow down these spread offenses? And it seems more and more high school teams are implementing this offense as well. Yeah, I think the one thing you want to try to do is make a team one-dimensional and, and make them left-handed. So not let them play to their strengths. Like Purdue likes to throw it, in my opinion. Uh, so they, they don't have a problem lining up and throwing it 60 times. So basically at that point, I would try to make them run it and, and try to let, you know, let their front five try to beat our front five and, and win those battles and then we win the game, but not let them play to their strengths. You know, we're Northwestern, I think, a lot of times they want to spread you out and run the ball. But Northwestern's pretty balanced about it. I mean, that's the tough part is, is Northwestern's pretty balanced. Like Illinois, I'd rather Illinois try to throw the ball versus run the ball because I think they can run the ball better than they can throw it. So just try to make a team left-handed. Try to make them do things they're not comfortable with. Try to make them do things they're not as good as and take away their strengths. And if you, if you do that, I think you have a chance to be successful. The Hawks continue to have trouble with tackling, often at key points in the game. How do you try to coach out of that? Is it effort, technique? What do you think is happening? Drills, over and over and over again. Drills, hat placement. Uh, you know, not, not to be big slam contact drills, but just doing those routine things over and over and over again. Getting your head in the right spot, getting your, your you know your body position in the right, loading your hips, constantly doing it over and over, coming under control, breaking down when you're you know in midfield in open space. Just drilling it over and over and over again. So when they do get in the course of the game, it becomes just second instinct for him. There's a disturbing trend developing under friends, finding ways to lose in close games. We had nine losses in 11 games decided by five points or less since 2004, 0-7 in games decided by three points or less. What do you think's going on there? How do you reverse that? Well, I, I, you know, 
I, there's two schools of thought there. One is try to get your kids in better positions to win, but then ultimately you got to have the, the student athletes that are going to win. That when the, when, the, when it's their turn to make a play, they make a play. If we need a stop, they make a stop. You know, wholeheartedly it becomes a chess game, but then at certain times that X is, has to beat that O, or that O has to beat the X. And I'm talking about diagrams when you drag your plays up. At some point you can only do so much, it still comes down to, you know, executing the play, making the throw, making the catch. That's going to help your team win the football game. And, and so I think it's a combination of things right now. And every game you go into, you just want to have a chance to win. And, and that's the statistic you just talked about. I mean, that's it. We're close. We have chances to win games. We're right there. And it's just... At some point, somebody's got to step up and, and get it done. Let's turn to Saturday's game against Michigan State. Can you talk about the Spartans, Javon Ringer versus Sean Green? It's going to be two tough guys. Man. I'm telling you what, those are two of the toughest, most physical backs that got some scat to them too. So, you know, and both teams want to. That's what they want to do. They want to run the ball, and and it's going to be a true old-fashioned Big Ten football game, in my opinion. So you're going to see two of the best backs in the Big Ten running this weekend. There is a theory out there that Iowa matches up better against a team like Michigan State than it does in Northwestern or in Indiana. Do you agree and why? I, I do. I think they, they match up Wisconsin better too because they want to line up and they want to win in the trenches. They want to beat you up up front and, and establish the run and that's what Wisconsin and Michigan State wants to do. Michigan State's a little bit concerning because they got a ton of athletes too. I mean, being able to recruit in the Michigan area, Detroit area, and that, those areas, I mean, they, they're able to get a ton of great athletes in that uh, program. You know, you look at some of the receivers that have come out of that, that football program, it's amazing. So that's the, the, the element of Michigan State that they lack discipline. The new coach has come in and I think he's brought that to the program. I mean, that's, that's his MO is he's a very strict uh, dictarian type coach and demands that stuff so I think you're gonna see a Michigan State team that's gonna get better and better over the next couple of years. What do you expect to see in this game and what are your keys to the game? Tough, hard nose, line up and let's see who the toughest team is this is gonna be the kind of the, mem the, the MO but it's gonna ultimately come down I think big plays. I mean who can make the big plays? Who's gonna make the, the screen that goes for 60 yards? Who's gonna make the you know the reverse that goes for 80 yards or or the kick return or the punt return? I think ultimately is as much as a, as a battles is going to be in the trenches, it's still going to come down to someone making a big play in the passing game or in a special teams game that's going to win this game. Any other thoughts? No, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just amazing what two weeks of, you know, 3-0 and and, and feeling somewhat good about the program and, and now 3-2. and two. I mean, not much change, really. I mean, they just, they've run into better talent, uh, better football teams in Pitt and Northwestern, and unfortunately, it's just going to keep getting a little bit better and better. Michigan State's even a step up from Northwestern, so, uh, you know, it's another great road test, but yet, as a player in the Big Ten, that's what you should strive for, and you should love these opportunities. What do you think of Stanzi as far as his ability to manage this game, deal with the crowd, deal with the mistakes, deal with the turnovers, not all of which have been his fault, by the way? Well, I like everything that I've seen from, from Stanzi today, especially his poise. You know, I, I like the way he seems like he understands what they're doing offensively. The talent's there. When the experience comes, I think they're going to have a pretty good quarterback on their hands. They might have one right now. As reaching for a little bit extra that time, Trey Strauss, the junior, there's a flag down in the middle of the field at about the 37-yard line. You can always tell by the reaction of the coaches which way this flag goes and I would say Kirk Ferentz is unhappy. Pass interference, 82 offense. Pass went beyond the line of scrimmage. We've got a 15-yard penalty. Repeat second down. So you go from second and two to second and 17. Oh, and he does. He actually pushes Quentin Davey down to the ground. You know, and, and that's definitely legal, and it was definitely unnecessary. It didn't seem like it impacted the result, but that's what I was it was a say. penalty. That's what I was going to say. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll let your statement stand. It impacted, <laughs> well, it impacted the play all right in another way. Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. 
Going into week six of the 2008 season, the Big Ten is one of only two conferences. The Big 12 is the other, with all teams sporting a record of 500 or better. Both Northwestern and Penn State are off to 5-0 starts. That's the first time for the Wildcats since 1962. It's the seventh time for the Nittany Lions since joining the Big Ten Conference. Both teams now are only one win away from becoming bowl eligible. The conference has three teams ranked in the top 25, and key games this week include Ohio State at Wisconsin and Illinois at Michigan. Speculation on which team may have the advantage in terms of the Big Ten's rotating schedule now centers on Northwestern. The Wildcats don't have to play Penn State or Wisconsin, and they get home games against Michigan State, Ohio State, and Illinois. Also, Joe Paterno remains in the top spot for most wins among active coaches in the football bowl subdivision. Bobby Bowden still a second as both teams won their games last week. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. This week, Sean Patchett visits with Pat. Talk about the Northwestern game and where you think Iowa as a team is at this point in the season. Well, I thought they'd be 4-1 and one at this stage because I actually thought they'd win this game and still finish 6-6. Six and six. So I still think they have a chance to finish 6-6. Six and six. It's not going to go quite the way I thought it would. I think that Northwestern's spread offense really got to them in the second half. And Iowa, just they're not good enough to overcome five turnovers. Most teams aren't. This team is about where I thought it was because I really do think they're about a 500 team. And I think most of these last seven games are going to be close. I don't think Penn State and Illinois, I think those are the only two games that potentially could get ugly. I think they'll be close, but I just see this team being a 500 team, and that's kind of, they're kind of right where I thought they would be. At 5-0 to start the season, do you think Northwestern is that good, or is Iowa just that mediocre? I think it's a little of both. I think North, a lot of it's luck. I'm, I mean, Iowa was so close to winning that game, and I think a lot of it is luck, though, but Iowa is showing the inability to win close games over the last three years, so I think that's partly, I think that's a big part of it, but I also think that Northwestern's made some of their luck, too. You just don't get 5-0 and by accident. I think they've done a lot of that themselves. I mean, they made a lot of plays in the second half when they had to. What did you think of the performance of the offense? First half was great. I, I was very impressed with it, the way they mixed the run and the pass and the play action and what have you. Even on the drives where they fumbled the ball, they still moved the ball. And I think they showed between Sean Green and Ricky Stanzi, there's almost 400 yards total offense right there between the two of them. The receivers actually started to get open a little more. You thought you saw a little separation and what have you. It's just the turnovers killed them. You wrote in your column on Sunday that it appears Iowa now has a starting quarterback. Can you talk a little bit about Rick Stanzi's play? Well, I thought he showed consistency, and actually he hit open receivers. He hit them in stride. The turnovers, I mean, he got caught with that the, the, when the defensive end slipped back into coverage. I think that's just going to come with experience, and the other was a fumbled snap which I think he will overcome. But to me, he threw a nice catchable ball. He showed a good pocket presence. And I, well, he threw for almost 250 yards. And I think when I think he just showed that, given a chance, that I think right now he is their best option at quarterback because he just seems to throw a much ca more catchable pass than Jake does. Kirk appears to be pretty satisfied with his performance against the Wildcats. 
If he continues to play like this, barring injury, do you think Christensen's days as a starter are over? Uh, this is, is it now Stanzi's job to lose? Oh yeah, it's definitely Stanzi's job to lose. I think he really put some distance between he and Jake last Saturday. I think Jake now gives them an experienced backup and that's kind of the best way you can look at this. But I think Jake has been given more than enough opportunities to prove himself. He has not done it. He doesn't seem to have taken his game to the next level of all, whereas Stanzi seems to be getting better. And I think with Jake, we know what to expect. You know what you've got with Jake. Right now, we're still learning a little bit with Stanzi. Uh, the offensive line really seems to be gelling. I think that's been one of the bright spots that's been so over overshadowed by the fact they lost these last two games. But Sean Green's been running hard and been running people over. But it's easier to do that when you're running through huge holes. And I think there's been a lot of holes. Sean would be the first one to tell you. He's often not getting hit until he gets hit by a linebacker or something. I think the, defense, the offensive line to me has done a very good job. And they're getting better with their pass blocking too. But I've really been impressed with their run blocking so far. Did you think the receivers played any better Saturday? And what do you think happened to the tight ends in this game? They just sort of disappeared? They did disappear. And I'm not sure why, because I would think in an offense like that, I I mean, Northwestern could have been doing something to take away the tight ends, knowing that that's probably an option that Iowa likes to use. The one thing I did like, it seemed like the Iowa receivers were able to get a little more separation. They didn't seem to be all bogging down in the same area either, where you have two or three guys going into the same part of the field. The play to, the play to Brodell had great timing. He led him. It's the kind of play you would like to see Iowa do more of. They haven't been able to hit receivers in stride, but I thought the receivers did do a little better job of running after the catch and getting themselves open. Sean Green continues to impress. Can you talk about his play, and how would you rate Green versus Javon Ringer? Well, it's hard to compare. Ringer's been given so many more opportunities. He's carried the ball 88, more, 88 times more than Sean has in the same amount of Green. Sean's definitely more of a power runner. He's going to go more north-south. Ringer's a hard, slashing runner kind of a Cedric Shaw type back. He'll make you miss a little bit more, but Sean, I think J Javon's a little more explosive, whereas I think Sean might be able to grind out that tough yard, but they're both good backs. They're both the focal point of very similar offenses. Michigan State and Iowa and Wisconsin all kind of mirror each other. Hindsight is always better, obviously, but you talk about the last offensive drive by the Hawks down near the goal line. Were you surprised there was no play action down there? Or did they have that little confidence in Jewel Hampton? Or is that any kind of in indicator how bad the depth is at running back? Well, I'm just got to assume that they didn't want to give the ball to a freshman in that circumstance, thinking maybe he would try to fumble. I mean, but I also think had they tried to run the ball two or three times, fans would have been belly aching over the fact they didn't try to pass. I think it's just one of those things where the receivers just didn't get open, and I think that's it's just a product of the fact that they're average on offense right now. I just still think they're an average football team, and that was a sign there. I think they couldn't punch the ball in, and I just would have to think that they maybe were a little reluctant to give Jewel the ball in that circumstance, thinking that he might fumble or whatever, especially after Watt witnessing five fumbles earlier in the day they probably were a little paranoid at the time. What were folks saying in the press box about that interference call against Reisner it really seemed to have an effect on the game? I don't think anyone saw it enough to really make form much of an opinion. I didn't see it and Kirk didn't really say much afterwards. I mean it was a very I don't want to say it was a very controversial call because I've talked to some people who said they saw it and you could see why it would be called. It's just I think what was so hard about it were the circumstances. It was such an important part of the game and rarely is offensive interference called. I think that's whenever it is called, you kind of look at it suspiciously. In spite of the fact that the Hawks found themselves defending a short field on Saturday, they continue to struggle to effectively stop most versions of the spread. Do you think that has more to do with scheme or execution or is there something else going on? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think some part of it too is that if you take a, if you look at Iowa's defense, its biggest weakness over the years, even in good years, I would say would be an overall lack of speed at certain positions. 
and usually what happens is the spread offense, you're always going to have one or two receivers isolated against linebackers. And let's face it, Iowa has good linebackers, but they never recruit linebackers where you say their greatest attribute is speed. I think what happens is sometimes Iowa's lack of speed on defense and sometimes their unwillingness to blitz and change up some things. I mean, they've been going with a lot of dime coverages, so they put six backs in there, but I still say it comes down to a lack of speed sometimes more than anything. What do you think is happening on special teams? Other than kicking, it looks like they're regressing more to what they looked like the last couple of years. Yeah, that's. I'm not sure. It's more of the same, and I don't think Kirk has the answer because I think if they had the answer, they'd correct it. I know in the past that they had a lot of their star players, some of their starters playing on special teams. They're not doing as much of that anymore, so I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think even Ryan Dunahue's been inconsistent as a punter, and until they get the special things team's stuff worked out, I, it's going to prevent this team from going to the next level because from 02 to 04, they won some of those games on special teams and maybe he's got to think about putting some of his starters back on special teams I don't know. Kirk says he sees room for optimism fans in the media are wondering about that the Hawks next games are against Michigan State and Indiana both on the road and then home against Wisconsin at Illinois then home against Penn State it's hard to find any wins in that stretch and they certainly won't be favored they could very easily be eliminated from bowl contention in early November where do you see this team heading at that point? I have them going six and six. I mean, possibly now five and seven with because I did have them beating Northwestern. I thought they'd be four and one at this stage, but I've never really had any higher expectations than six and six on this team. That's why I'm not really surprised. And if this team goes six and six, it's I mean, it's almost like in some ways, you if I was a fan, speaking from a fan's perspective, I'd almost rather have them go three and nine because if they go six and six, it's not bad enough to where you can say we're in a crisis. We need we need to make changes. But if they go three and nine and for some, then you do have a crisis, then maybe, because I know a lot of fans I talk to would like to see some changes on the, on the staff and what have you, but they've been doing just good enough to kind of keep things status quo, and I think this team, thanks to a very easy non-conference schedule, all, all it has to do is win two Big Ten games to go five and seven. I just see them doing about that, five and seven, six and six, and I'm not sure if that's going to be enough to shake things up. Since 2004 under Ferenc, Iowa is now losing most close games. Two and nine in games lost by five points or less, and 0 oh and seven in games decided by three points or less. How can you not be concerned about this trend and what do you think is going on here? I just think it's that they haven't had as good of teams. Actually, it started in 2005. The 2004 team won a lot of, it had a knack for winning close games. 2005 is when it really started. I think it's just a product of the team. They don't have as good of players. They don't have as good a team. Good teams find ways to win close games. Teams that aren't good find ways to lose close games. And I think right now they're finding ways to lose close games just because they're not very good. I mean, if you look back at those 02, 03, and 04 teams, granted hindsight's 2020, but look at all the NFL prospects on those teams. Look at all, I can't maybe identify one or two NFL prospects on their team right now. Looking ahead to Michigan State, do you buy into the theory that Iowa matches up better against teams like the Spartans and Wisconsin? Yes, I do buy into that theory. I do think it takes Michigan State longer to score. They're not going to burn Iowa with the big play. But I still think Iowa's going to lose like 21-14 type game. I think home field advantage will be a big factor. And I just think Michigan State is the team that's going to make that kind of breakthrough this year. They're kind of like the Illinois of last year and what have you. I just don't see them losing this game at home. What are your keys to the game? Obviously, limit turnovers, especially coming after last week, but I think Iowa needs to get ahead early, control the clock, keep the offense on the field with slow, time-consuming drives, keep Ringer off the field by keeping Sean Green on the field. Just limit turnovers. They have to tackle crisply. They have to gang tackle because Michigan State's just going to try to overpower them. I don't think there's going to be much secret to what they're going to try to do. This is just going to come down to who's tougher at that on that given day. Any other thoughts? No. Season is kind of going like I thought. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time.
www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcasts should be available for listening or downloading later on Wednesdays. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. So what you got to do, you got to fall back. That's superior firepower and superior intelligence. Today's Hawkeye's Mic program is made possible in part by... Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. The Hawks travel to East Lansing this Saturday for its second Big Ten Conference game of the season. This will also be Michigan State's homecoming game. Spartans head coach Mark D'Antonio is in his second season with a 4-1 record this year, defeating Indiana last week in Bloomington by a score of 42-29. MSU has also beaten Notre Dame, Florida Atlantic, and Eastern Michigan. The program appears to be on the rise. It is interesting to note, however, that since 1975, the Michigan State program has posted a record of 15-4 and four in games played before October, but only 5-17 and 17 in games played from October 1st on. Last year's game was played in Kinnick, with Iowa winning in two overtimes by a score of 34-27. The Hawks haven't won at East Lansing since 1995, and Iowa leads the overall series 20-17-2. Last season, Michigan State finished with a 7-6 record, losing to Boston College in the Champs Sports Bowl. This could very well be a watershed moment for this Iowa team. They aren't going to be favored in any game for the next several weeks. To have any chance of saving this season, they need to grab an upset somewhere along the way and turn things around. Although it will be very daunting, this may be one of their better chances since it appears the Hawkeyes match up better against another pro-set offense and power running team like the Spartans. This game will also showcase two of the nation's best running backs. Michigan State's Javon Ringer is ranked first in rushing in the nation and in the Big Ten, averaging 179.4 yards a game and scoring 12 TDs this season. Iowa's Sean Green is second in the Big Ten and sixth in the nation. He has 665 net yards on 99 attempts 
averaging 133 yards a game and 6.7 yards a carry while scoring five touchdowns. It's also important to point out that Ringer is a real workhorse. He has nearly twice the carries that Sean Green has, and Ringer is averaging 37.4 runs a game. For the Hawkeyes to have a realistic chance at Spartan Stadium this Saturday, they absolutely have to cut down on their turnovers. MSU has been very opportunistic when it comes to forcing turnovers, and they've already converted seven turnovers into 17 points, including returning one of six interceptions for a touchdown. Iowa also has to do much better on third down conversions and score more points when they are in the red zone. In the last two weeks, both losses, the Hawks failed to score on three trips inside the red zone, and they've converted only seven of 26 third down opportunities. The Hawks need to continue to show the improvement they demonstrated last week in their passing game, and Sean Green needs to turn in another great performance. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know, whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that is, I've never seen that. Okay. Now, I can't read it, there's no, there's no words on it. There's okay. no words there to play us out. I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean, to end the show? Yeah. All right, go, go. That's tomorrow, and that is it. I can't do it, okay. we'll do it live. No. We'll do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Thing sucks! But here you go, your ball game rests right now. Fourth down and goal from the Northwestern 8 for Iowa. And Northwestern comes through with the defensive play. They'll be 5-0. Vince Brown, who had an interception earlier, looks like he's the one who got that pass deflected. Now, they didn't give him a chance that time. And this Kinnick Stadium crowd will start to file out. And that was John Gill who got his hand on it. Brown came in with the initial pressure, then backed off. And it was John Gill who knocked the pass down. Iowa didn't score in the second half. And Northwestern posted 19 unanswered points. This was a 17-3 Iowa game in the second quarter. Northwestern wins despite some problems in the kicking game also. Era Parsegian was the coach. The last time Northwestern had this kind of start, this time it's 33-year-old Pat Fitzgerald, and it's the purple passion that comes through in this game for Northwestern. And for Iowa, Ricky Stancy has emerged as their number one quarterback, but the loss of Sean Green also in the fourth quarter probably hurt the Hawkeyes in their effort to try to make the comeback. Our thanks again to ESPN Classic for the game highlights, and thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the show. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.